I'm Susan Branscombe, and this is Leading She. The group then moves on to the next candidate, which are often the male candidates, and then they move on and talk about them more in a business, what are they accomplished, are they capable mode, instead of, you know, what is their personal situation. Pat Taylor Woodyard has had a long and successful career in the male-dominated environmental services industry. Her professionalism and ambition are impressive. She believes women and men need to confront gender bias when we see it or experience it, so as to stop it in its tracks. Only then can we hope for change. She cautions women about oversharing at the office around home life struggles and how this can affect career advancement. Enjoy listening to Pat. Today I have with me Pat Taylor Woodyard, uh, and she uh, Pat is actually my second cousin. Her mother and my father were first cousins. Uh, their fathers were brothers, and we share the same uh, great-grandparents who are long deceased, but Walker Branscombe and Cora Susan McPeak Branscombe. So we are related. We are cousins, right, Pat? That's right. <laughs> um, Pat, I'm very excited to have uh, Pat here with me today. Uh, she is... Uh, the Chief Strategy and Development Officer of Weston Solutions Incorporated. It's a mid-sized environmental and infrastructure firm, and it's headquartered in Pennsylvania with 25 offices uh, distributed uh, nationally. About 1,000 people work there, um, generating about $423 million in revenue. And, uh, Pat, I'm going to turn it over to you. I'd like you to tell Tell folks, uh, the listeners, what you do, what your company does, and get a feel for you know your career. Uh, well, th- thanks a lot. Uh, what I do is the uh, focus on growth in my company. So, in my role as the head of uh, sales, marketing, and growth, I need to work with the teams around our organization to do what's necessary to get to growth, uh, to meet our growth targets both on the short and long run. Uh, We have a diverse set of clients from federal, state, and local clients to industrial and utility clients and a diverse set of environmental and infrastructure services from hazardous waste cleanups to air emission testing to stormwater and surface water management to emergency response and all sorts of environmental related activities, including even munitions response um, um, and um, uh, wastewater. So it's quite a diverse Mm. suite of services, um, and my job is to get us to growth. Good. Great. Give me a little bit about your personal background. I know some of it. Uh, but I know you grew up in Cincinnati. Uh, but give me a little feel for you know where you went to school and uh, some background there, personal background. Um, I went to uh, uh, the Ohio State University. That's where I graduated college with a bachelor of services in, I mean, bachelor of sciences um, in natural resource development, which at the time was a brand new environmental degree. Uh, since I started a long time ago in my field. And uh, before that, I went to high school in, in Montgomery at, at first in Sycamore High mm-hmm. School, graduated in 73, the aviators, um, and did lots of different activities at high school uh, that kind of set me up for my interest in college and beyond. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, you were an athlete in high school. What did you play? Oh, gosh. I played basketball, volleyball, track, um, um, you know, ho- uh, field hockey, uh, and a few others. I was an average player, but I liked the team environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did, too. I was. You were in GAA. I was in GAA. I remember that. I don't even know if that's still around. Do you? No, no, I don't, but I, don't I assume, uh, for those that don't know, it's a women's leadership organization associated with the anything in sports in that in the school, so mm-hmm. at least in the day it was. I don't know if it is today. I also um, did uh, other leadership activities like student council I was active in and uh, on officer of the senior class, so those are, you know, kind of leading me in the leadership path. Mm-hmm. Good. I think I've always said this about uh, playing sports. I've played sports my whole life, all kinds of different sports, and I think it's a good place to be, you know, good experience for young women and women as they enter business because it is about team play. There are a lot of parallels between sports and business. Uh, I totally agree. What I also find is the coaching, you know, paying attention to your coaches. And being a coach yourself when you get in your career is an important ingredient for success. And so seeing what coaches in sports do in the various forms of what they do can mm-hmm. can be interesting to see how you lead people to success. Right, right. Let's dive into some questions. Um, you uh, have said you, you believe that both men and women need to speak up against gender bias. When they see it, they need to say something, do something, not just women, but men as well. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, I'm I'm a strong believer that you've got to stop gender bias in its tracks. And nowadays, in many fields, it's more subtle than one might think. It's not as blatant as it might have been when I started my career. Um, But nowadays, it can be as simple as a few words that are said, or a conversation uh, that occurs that um, show signs either in the conversation or the way people act that they're, uh, someone is biased against uh, the female that's involved or the female being considered for career opportunities. So I sort of have the, the mantra of to stop gender bias in its tracks, um, but it's going to take all of us men and women to do that because it is very su- it's becoming more and more very subtle. Mm-hmm. You know, I, from my experience, it, there have always been times when it's subtle, whether it's making eye contact, not making eye contact, uh, a lot of little things. What What would you say? I mean, what, give me some examples of subtle gender bias on the part of, of men or women. Uh, a great story. When I, and and it, it happened through the early to mid part of my career. It, uh, I finally stopped about 20 years in, but it's been a long career. Um, you know, an example would be you'd, you'd be in a meeting, you'd be at any level, you'd be in a meeting, you're females and males in the room. Um, I often mostly had males in the room and then there was me, but the point was the same, which is if you notice when you've got somebody in the front of the room, uh, typically a male in those, my cases, where some conversation is kind of leading to brainstorming or ideas for solutions and so they, they get on a whiteboard and capture the ideas of the people in the room that are the leaders. And what I used to notice was when the men would talk, every single one of them, their point would be put on the flip chart um, as an item 
for consideration. Then when I would say something, all of a sudden they went to the next person, and I am not a quiet individual. So, <laughs> um, and so I le- initially I used to let it pass, and then I realized, wait a minute here, they're just ignoring me. Um, so what I do is I just keep bringing it up two or three times, and I try a, a different way to say the same thing. Um, and what I noticed over time, and it was kind of in the early part of my career, was that there were men in the room who would listen to what I'm saying and then wait till I said it two or three times and when it, then my comment or idea didn't get to the board, they'd bring up the comment, the same comment, worded mm. the same way, and it got up on the flip chart. Mm. And, it, and I, I got to the point where I realized, well, you know, it's not about me. As long as the idea gets there, uh, you know, I got to get past the fact that nobody's listening to me directly. But I, I never stopped. I just kept, it never slowed me down from making the points that I felt were necessary. Um, rather than what some I see some people do is it deflates them and they step away from the table. Right, they get and just quiet. don't communicate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they get quiet. And that's no, that's not the way we need to break down gender bias. You just have to confront it and Right. Break it down. And, you know, that topic and that situation has come up more than once, more than twice in the podcasts I've done so far. And that is I bring the, the idea up and somebody else brings it up and he gets credit for it. And, and my, I'm not acknowledged for it. And then the, the one person I talked to said there was somebody else that said, you know, I think she had the idea. Right. And so somebody else in the room was kind of backing her because you know, it's it's tough to say, wait a minute, I had that idea, and then look like you're trying to take credit or, you know, you know toot your horn or something, you know. Um, but it's an important one, and, and men should be aware of it as well. Yeah, I've, I've often watched the males that are in the front of the rooms that, that do that, and then after the meetings would watch how they operated with other women um, and uh, or, you know, how they engaged with a diverse workforce and could see those same kind of subtle biases just in their normal daily actions. I just would see it more blatantly in, mm-hmm. in the kind of meeting setting. Right. Yeah. No, I've, I've seen it as well. And uh, I am like you. Maybe we got this from our mother or father, but uh, I don't, uh, I'm not a wallflower either. I, I speak up as, as I'm known to do. <laughs> um. But give me, let's go to this. Give me a, when you were um, supported as a leader in your company, you're an executive in this firm, um, you know, give me um, an idea of when perhaps you were expected to change, although it really shouldn't have been you that, that changed. In other words, you know, the leader is supporting you in in this situation, but there's somebody else that says, you know, Pat needs to change. Give me, give me a story or an example there. Uh, let, let me give you a, what I would describe as an extreme kind of a blatant example. In this time period, it was the 1990s. Um, and, you know, again, a male-dominated industry that I was in is in currently. Um, and I was the program manager of a big, giant program for a steel company, a cor- uh, a multinational steel company, and the we had a meeting uh, at corporate uh, with the, my clients, which were all the plant executives, um, and then with the corporate executives at the, in the environmental function. And so we had this dinner. Uh, lots of alcohol was flowing. 
I had invited uh, the top executive of, all, of the company I used to work for to attend that dinner to uh, meet the, the account or executive on their side. And as the alcohol was flowing eventually through the evening, um, the executive on the client side um, made a derogatory comment to me. I was the only female in a group of uh, 12 males um, at that dinner. And uh, the outspoken executive male made a derogatory comment and then proceeded to look at my boss, the our executive, and say that I needed to change on change because I needed to just follow suit um, and um, it was on a particular subject and that uh, I needed to know my place. Hmm. Um, and the executive on our side, surprisingly to me, was, I'm very proud of him, he's no longer with us, but quite the, uh, quite the leader, he per- turned over and looked at the executive and said, no, she doesn't have to change, you do. Um, times have changed and women are in the workforce and leading everywhere and you just need to get used to it. Hmm. So I I thought to myself, wow, that was cool. Yeah, how long ago was that? That was in the mid-90s. Mid-90s, yeah. And and what if if the executive had supported you? They both said, yeah, Pat, he's right. You know, you need to change. What what would you have done then? Oh, um, I... I would reflect on what I had done. Let's say I had communicated a certain way or behaved a certain way or maybe it wasn't the right setting or whatever the circumstances, mm-hmm. and I'd kind of reflect on my part of the the story and then say, am I correct, am I not correct? And if I believed that I was right or was doing the proper thing, um, then I would probably have a straightforward communication with that person offline um, Mm -hmm. to understand their perspective and then share mine. And if we still disagreed, uh, you know, depending on what the situation is, I might uh, go to uh, someone else in the organization at at their peer level, um, depending on what it was. Or if it was extreme and I saw a pattern of it, I I might um, decide that's not the place I need to work. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good plan. Good plan. But I think uh, there are examples, I can think of plenty of examples where women would, I think, withdraw from that and go along and say, well, maybe I need to change. Maybe these guys know what they're talking about. I just, I see that. And uh, I think it's, it's, you know, we have to, we have to stand up to that kind of thing. I really do. Yeah, I actually saw that not too long ago. I was at an office and Though I took a group of people out to dinner and we were having a conversation, and uh, there was it was majority were women in that dinner, uh, kind of accidentally, and we were chatting about communication, and it, we got to a point where um, one of the individuals commented that they brought up their ideas but were shut down, their words shut down uh, by the person in front of the room, which happened to be a male, and. I said, so what did you do about that? And they said, so I didn't ever speak again. And so I said, that's not the that's not the right answer, you know. Right. So if you believe in what you were communicating, then just because they shut you down there, you should have gone outside of that discussion and shared the fact that that's how that felt, and that you know provide your opinion. They don't have to necessarily like or take it, i.e., act upon it, but they do need to listen. They do need to listen, yeah. 
And it's not going to change if they don't, you know, if, if no, you don't speak up. Right. Um, yeah, I remember, um, and we've both had long careers, you know, 40 years, and you're, you're right around 40 years, uh, a little bit more. Um, and I remember early in my career, in my 20s, it was kind of like college or high school. I wanted everybody to like me. And as my career moved along and uh, moved up and had more and more responsibility, managed people, uh, I found that it wasn't possible to have everyone like me. Um, what what kind of advice would you give to women around leading as a respected leader versus being liked, or can you be respected and liked, or what what advice would you give women around this? It's funny. I I my early in my career and even high school, college, I always like wanted to be liked and kind of entered the workforce that way and realized the world was a different place than I expected. Um, and as I got into leadership roles like you, I realized that if, if I had to do my job which and be effective uh, and successful at my job, it depending on what I was, my job was, it required me to make some hard decisions. And hard decisions sometimes involves people or what people want. And I realized I couldn't do my job if I didn't do what was best for the whole, not the part. And that made me... Uh, realized that it was more important to be respected um, than it was to be liked because I was serving the workforce better as a respected leader than just being a like leader and not getting the kind of out outcomes that the workforce as a whole needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's that's good advice. Let's talk about something that we've both experienced, and that is a tendency for men to and women maybe, but uh, really men are often in power in companies, uh, to speculate on whether a woman is motivated, whether she will come back after a maternity leave, uh, whether she'll be motivated then. And we talked about maybe there is a natural instinct uh, with men to look out for, take care of women and just, you know, look out for them. At the same time, uh, they may be diminishing our value and not and questioning our motivation. Um, but uh, I was always a career woman, but I did feel that people were speculating as to whether or not I was motivated after I had children. Um, what advice would you give to men and to women around this about the, you know our careers and what people think we're going to do or what people think, you know how motivated, how driven we are? despite families or despite what's going on with us? That's a real important topic, Susie, because I, I've seen that my whole career and I see it today. It's not, it hasn't changed all that much, um, um, and, it, and the ramifications of it uh, is it's, it's in, in its unintended consequences, it's slowing down women's movement up the career track. Let me, let me describe a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I have... I've been in leadership positions most of my career, and that means I'm at the table and have always been at the table where um, people were being considered for the next position up or the next challenge up or the next task up that was going to grow their career. And candidates always get brought forward by whoever is in the room. Um, In the early to mid part of my career, the candidates were always men who were brought forward, irrespective of whether there were women candidates. when women candidates were brought forward, and even today when they're brought forward, um, 
for whatever reason, and I've always perceived, again, I'm not a psychologist, but I've always made the assumption that because men are either fathers or brothers, it's their natural instinct to protect the the woman, um, and thereby they're, in some cases, I'm noticing they're overly sensitive to the situations that women face juggling work and life, work and family, work and children. Um, maybe they're even a single mom and they've got children, so it makes it even more challenging. And so they make preconceived notions about the person's ability to take on the next level, to travel for their job, to work longer hours, or whatever the situation of the job requires. So what happens is you get in the room and comments come up, when, and men and women both need to pay attention to this. Comments come up like, oh, but, you know, she's a single mom. Oh, but uh, she really might not be able to travel because she's got some gender care needs that she has to deal with. Uh, or gee, you know, she looks like she's struggling with her work-life balance now with some home issues that are happening, so maybe this is not the right time. So what happens is it comes into that meeting conversation, but it never leaves the room. In other words, the, the, the group then moves on to the next candidate, uh, which are often the male candidates, and then they move on and talk to the, about them more in a business, what are they accomplished, are they capable mode, instead of you know, what is their personal situation. Right. In fact, I've never been in a conversation where the men's personal situation came into the discussion after 42 years. Mm. It, but in women's, it's invariably brought up if there's something visible that, or they know that might be a challenge. So that it doesn't give the woman the opportunity herself to make that choice. Right. Um, and mm. my, my recommendation for men and women is, you know, give those women the choice. Ask them whether they would be like to be considered, don't, don't prejudge, don't speculate. Right. And for the women, what I would say, and I, you know, tell me if you agree with this, and, and that is, and what I've done in my career, I would interview per, for positions and I would say, you know, I know you can't ask me this because it's, you know, illegal to discriminate based on me having children or me being married, but I'm very motivated. I'm ambitious. My career is important to me. And I would say it throughout my career just to let, let people know in case they were having these side conversations about whether I was motivated and going to work hard or not. I had to remind them as, as a woman because these things, you know, these thing, conversations do go on, right? Yeah, I, I don't think that's a bad idea. I, I, based on where I was in my career, I just kind of pressed along and proved that it didn't matter. Um, that's not the best choice. I like your choice much better. Um, the the thing I do notice is that some women, not and it wasn't me, some women would come into the workforce in the workday and they would express what happened at home. They would share in their sharing mode, share what the challenges of their life were and juggling and and may come across like they're having difficulty, even though they don't mean to. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, my my thought was, gee, you know, you don't see men doing that. Um, so best not to make that kind of thing visible in my mind, mm -hmm. uh, because it gives people ammunition to not, not consider you. Right. Keep the private life private if you're having issues with child care or issues with your husband or you know, housework, whatever it is. 
keep that yeah. there so people don't think, well, she has this going on and that going on and make excuses and whatnot. Right. Yeah. And another thing you mentioned is, you know, the roles we play that you you thought, you know, men do this as sort of looking out for women. And I think those, we don't talk about those a lot. And, and I think men and women play roles when they come into the workplace, and it can be dangerous with your career. In other words, if I'm looking to my boss as a father or a big brother, and he's looking at me like I'm kind of like a sister or a wife, those roles can you know, affect your career su- success. They can affect your compensation and, you know, things like that. One time I had, you know, I had two different, you know, fellows I reported to that said, well, you make a lot more money than my wife. Well, your wife's a nurse. Um, you know, not, you know, nurses are underpaid, I believe, but I, I'm I'm not your wife. I'm not, that's, you know, I'm female, but I'm not doing nursing work. And so I should feel lucky that I was making the money I was making. And, you know, these roles, I think, can be a little dangerous. Um, I don't know what you think. Well, uh, let me share a little story. Uh, it brings up in my mind, um, now this is about the 2000-ish time period. Mm-hmm. Um, the place I used to work, the top executive of the environmental business at the time, the very, very top, um, he sort of treated the few women that were in his sphere of engagement in a manner that looked really odd to me, uh, sort of looked like uh, it was a combination, depending on what, where we were and what we were doing, a combination sometimes of, this is my daughter. Mm. Um, in other cases, it was like, this is my girlfriend. Mm. Um, and, and I thought, you know, this something's wrong here. And I had approached the secretary of this executive, um, who's since retired, um, about my comment. And she looked at me and she said, I have to share a book with you. So she sent a book to me, which I wish I could remember the name of, um, but it was a book exactly t- saying that, you know, there are men in certain generations that that swing toward the, you're either the wife, the mistress, or the the sister, or the daughter, um, and those parts are being played out. I, I don't see that as much in this generation, you know, this era, mm-hmm. but I did see that in the pre-2005 era. Mm-hmm. And, and I have to be careful. I mean, I think women have to be careful not to succumb to those roles, you know, to fall right into the daughter and the, you know, the wife and the mother, whatever, um, because it can be dangerous. I think you have to set boundaries around how, you know, you're a business professional and you have to be a woman. Um, but, you know, some of that stuff's just, there's no place for it. But, uh, it, you know, that's how we're socialized. That's, that's how we come into the workplace. And I think that some of that's the basis for gender bias. Oh, I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Um, you and I share something in common, which, which we've talked about, and that is uh, when we see something that doesn't, isn't right or whatever, we speak up, we are straightforward, we are direct. And I think in your career, my career, you know, I can say for mine that being assertive and speaking up and being straightforward is not common among women. It's, you know, we we are out there. But uh, because we're not behaving like women, I think part of it is this, that, that the expectation is that we don't speak up. And so when we do, 
you know, it's it's surprising. And so, um, so I speak the truth, and then sort. We see men doing the same thing, and they're regarded as being, you know, an aggressive, ambitious businessman. And and we could say the exact same thing, and I'll be regarded as being, you know, pushy. You know, and what what do you? And I think you can relate to what I'm talking about. How would you? What advice would you give? What you what have you seen here? Oh, I totally agree with what you're describing. I I will say, having you know, in being in the first generation in the environmental field as a woman professional, uh, I would not be where I am today if I wasn't straightforward and direct. Uh, although I would say all along that path, most of the way down that path, um, it it made people uncomfortable that were men. I mean, mm. being that because I was not behaving the way they expected a female to behave. Right. Um, and that put me in the oddball out category. Uh, but but if I would have stayed, you know, not communicated, not been straightforward, not been direct on the issues, um, I wouldn't have been dri- driving change uh, mm-hmm. in the organizations I worked. I wouldn't be pushing the envelope and stretching people's capabilities. I wouldn't be causing companies to be what they the full potential that they could be i just be going along um and i'm not a going along just going along person no so you know i've had (laughs) uh, i i just love the whole time even men had come to me about mid-level through my career and say you know you know when you have the same traits you're you know dynamic and inspirational and strategic and driven and direct and forthright and all these things um, but people always, you know, would call me out, overpowering, aggressive, pushy, um, outspoken, harsh at times. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but if I was a guy with the same traits, it would be all the positive attributes. Mm-hmm. They'd yeah. be, they'd need to be admired. And there were times where, you know, people who didn't know me feared me because I was so different from what they were used to. <laughs> Intimidating, uh, I've been called. I, everything, everything you've been called, I've been called. Uh, I've had success, but not everybody's going to like us. Not everybody's going to like that style. But we do make we do affect uh, change, and you know our hearts are in the right places, and we see things and we speak up. And often I'm the person that speaks up when everybody else is saying, "Susan, say something." <laughs> it's like Susan says something, you know. Oh, I, I, I a little story with that back, and I guess it was about the 2000 era, 2000-2010 era. I was in senior management meetings, and by then I had worked with my company a long, long time, so I sort of everybody knew what they were getting if I was in a room. And then when issues that were difficult were popping up and I would communicate my, my truth in the uh, – and, and essentially they were rejecting them, um, and I disagreed hard, wholeheartedly, I would go quiet. Um, and the executive in the room at the time said, you know, said, we're going to take a break. Uh, and then they t- he took me outside of the room, and he said, he said, we are in trouble when you're quiet. So what are you thinking? <laughs> uh, so when the break was over, they, they re- regrouped and moved in the direction I was trying to get them to. So it was pretty hilarious. Yeah. I remember when I worked in uh, you know, as a lender and a corporation, and uh, you know, always gave me great reviews. And the one weakness was you need to learn to take no for an answer. 
that was that was the weakness, you know. So I ended up leaving that corporation and starting, you know, starting into something that was more sales oriented. And so then I wouldn't be paid to take no for an answer. (laughs) 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 So, yeah. Well, um, yeah, I was curious about your your background with your company. You've been with your your current company uh, a couple of years and you've had an impressive very impressive career in in your industry. You were with the previous company though for 30 some years, 32 years. Just wondering what what happened to make you think it was time to leave? You didn't re- decide not to retire from that company. What what uh, happened around that move? Well, the funny you asked that question. Um, the, there was a lot of things going on at the time uh, for the company I work for. Um, they were at the end of their uh, own, uh, employee ownership model. They were, you know, four billion dollar company. And it used to be also in that uh, geography, the CH2M Hill. Um, they were um, financially having trouble because of some problem projects in other countries, hmm. um, and they, the combination of the employee ownership and problem projects was uh, having a series of years that were difficult financial years for the company. So they were looking to be bought. Um, I was in senior management, which, you know, when you're merging with another company and you're in senior management, you really need to think about, think hard about are you going to end up two or three or four years down the road at in in the redundancy um, model where you can't handle more than one person in a role. Um, In addition to the fact they did did a restructure, and so I looked to um, move up the ladder in that restructure, and uh, what was happening is they were moving people from non-environmental parts of the company that were new new employees to the firm into the environmental group, and they were not culturalized to be used to women at all Hmm. in those other groups. Um, And so one of them got into a position that was the – top position in the field, the, the functional area I was in. And uh, so they had, they had a group of, of executives in the room in that business working through the chairs for the positions. And so the position that would be the elevated position for me, um, my boss and three or four other people in the room uh, championed me forward with the, as the most qualified mm-hmm. and the mo- uh, by far by over everyone else. Uh, but the person that was a new employee to the firm and to the business group and to environmental said he wasn't comfortable with me. So what the group did was look for male c- candidates um, and uh, he picked one, which is fine. And then I received, got a lateral position. Mm. Um, so the mere fact that they did that, and that was communicated to me off the cup after that one of the what my boss quit. Um, that you know that was a sign that the firm was going in a direction I was not interested anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so it turns out the phone rang, recruiter called, and and thankfully I'm um, uh, found a, uh, Western Solutions, which is a perfect um, firm that it doesn't have the kind of gender diversity bias that uh, I was starting to see again where I was working before. Mm-hmm. It kind of goes back to that subtle sexism that you were we were talking about, and that is, I'm just not comfortable with her, you know, which is code for, you know, she's a woman, she's, you know, outspoken, I'd rather work with somebody that's like me, looks like me, it's a guy, 
right? Right. Your mm-hmm. people tend to gravitate to where who they're most comfortable with. So mm-hmm. in that case, I assume that was the the person. The, they they did well. It's just that I didn't need to. I didn't need to have my career stop at the point where it should be at the pinnacle of my career. Mm-hmm. Right. And you you had to make a decision there. I mean, you'd been with this company for a long time. And I think the message that I'm hearing is, you know, sometimes the company that you were working with five years ago or 10 years ago changes. There's something that changes. And while it may have worked for you and the culture was a fit for you, then something changed and it really no longer worked for you and it was time to make a move, even though you'd been there a, a long time. So the message is, you know, see when it works for you, make sure you don't have your head in the sand and say, time to make a move and I've got the courage to do it and I'm going to do it. Yeah, and then there's, there's cases where, you know, part of that 32 years, those I would run into roadblocks here or there along the way, and but they were roadblocks that I felt I could get through, get mm-hmm. around, work differently, get, you know, it wouldn't stop my career. And I continued down the path for a very many long years. Um, but I guess of the I own six six firms that I've worked for in my whole career, I I'll, I'll admit that four of them I resigned because of diversity bias issues. Mm-hmm. And I it's better to just quietly walk away. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the fight is too big. Uh, sometimes you have to fight the fight, speak up about gender bias. But sometimes it's just you're not going to win, you know, and, and it's, or it's sad. too it's... dangerous or the timing is right, wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and the firm I, that merged with that firm, you know, they're doing quite well. Um, they're working very hard to be more diverse. That's great. Um, but, you know, that's, I, I chose a different path. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, what advice would you give to women um, or men for that matter about you know, how do politics play into business? What have you learned over the years about politics? And it's a broad term, but how do you see that in business? Um, you know, when we are outspoken and straightforward and we say what's right and what's not, you know, many times we have to think about the people and the, and the organization and should I say this at this time? Should I not say it? What What have you learned about politics? Uh well, you know, it's kind of like in your rocking chair, what what might you have done differently? Um, and politics is, or the subject of politics would, would be one of those topic areas sitting in that rocking chair. And that is because I started my career pretty much not even realizing politics existed, kind of moving up and realizing that I was just not very politically astute because I believed in communicating what was right and best for the people and the business, um, which to me, if you're, you know, kind of swinging in the direction that's not doing what's right and what's for the people, that's kind of a political, political um, gaming going on. Um, so I, I knew that I wasn't politically astute. I'd even communicate to people that I, you know, I know I'm not very politically astute, but, and then I directly communicate my message. Um, as I moved up the ladder, um, I realized that I was making a choice um, and deciding that I, it was more important for me to, to do what's right than to be worried about my own personal gain. Um, so I continued. I made that personal choice that, uh, to continue to 
communicate, um, smoothed out my messaging, um, gained more and more finesse over time, and you know, at the as you know, in the last five years, probably have Im- improved great greatly from when I started in terms of of communicating in a manner, uh, a message, a manner approach, um, re- recognizing the audience that I'm talking to. So mm-hmm. it, it was always the same message. I'd still get the right message out. I just do it in a way that was a little more palatable. So mm-hmm. my 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 takeaway for everybody is, you know, learning finesse, still getting your points across, but do it in a way that that recognizes the audience you're talking to in a way and in a method approach, style, tone that that would be accepting to the other person so that you can change their thinking or accept your ideas. Um, and that's where finesse comes in to do that. Mm-hmm, definitely. And I had the same experience. I didn't, I underestimated politics in corporations or companies and uh, didn't play them. I just tried to say and do the right thing. I might be triggered and be angry and write an email or, you know, and, and so, yeah, if I had to do something in the rocking chair or on the deathbed and just like, you know, change it, I would, I would change some of those things. But I have learned over time that uh, some, not everything has to be said and not everything has to be said by me. <laughs> uh, so let's, um, let's end with um, one, one question here that um, you provided a quote to me um, that I really like, and it is, uh, you need to drive the direction and trajectory of your career to fit your own passion. What, what do you mean by that? Um, you kind of need to self-analyze yourself. Um, it would be my advice is to say, what are you good at? What, what do you see that you're good at? What do you do that you're good at? What are your attributes that are you're good, you're good at? What are your strengths? And do the things that fall into the, your strengths um, and what you're good at. So if you want to lead, lead. If you want to follow, follow. If you want to be part of a team but not the leader, fine. But, you know, come to grips early and, and check it periodically in your career um, if you're doing what, what it is that's playing to your strengths and your full potential. Mm-hmm. So knowing your full potential, believing in your full potential, and then driving your own career forward in that poten- potential rather than waiting for somebody to drag you along or, or, re- or bring you in, um, you need to be accomplishing being you know accomplishing the the results asked of you the do it well um, you know bring value to every setting and situation and you're going to be recognized um, and you know take those opportunities as they come along because you don't grow in your career unless you stretch yourself if you're not stretching yourself and getting a little bit uncomfortable about the roles and positions you have you're probably not learning new mm-hmm. things. Um, and so if you're trying to grow in your career and move up the ladder, um, stretching yourself is, is an important ingredient to, to get to your full success potential. Mm-hmm. Right. Taking, and you and I have done this over our careers, we take the risk that we're taking that next position and we may not know everything we need to know about what we need to do, but we will find out and we will, we will you know, master it at some point. So. Yeah, there's there's a management rule of thumb, management consulting rule of thumb that says uh, men take positions um, 
with 20% capability and women take positions with 80% capability. In other words, uh, women won't, let me no, rephrase that, women will not take the next position up unless they think themselves to be 80% capable. Mm-hmm. Men offered the same position will take that position even if they're 20% capable because mm-hmm. they, as you say, know that they'll figure it out. Right. So one of the things that women need to do is stop needing to be perfect <laughs> right. um, before they put themselves forward in the next position because you learn as you go. You, you won't you won't grow unless you take the position. You'll learn when you get it. And if you're good at what you do, you'll do good at the next level up. Yeah, you will. And not strive for perfection, but strive for excellence. Good enough work. Good enough. It's, it's uh, excellent work. It doesn't have to be perfect. That is absolutely correct. Yeah. I, I worry sometimes that our the younger generations um, have a more tendency to need to be perfect. Um, and the reality is, uh, most things don't require perfection, but they do require excellence and brought forward in, in what you're doing so that the work is quality. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. So working hard, quality work. So congratulations on the success of your career. You've done done very well, and uh, it's been, uh, you should be very impressed and proud, and I, I know you are. And even though our parents are no longer with us today. I think uh, your mother, Dolores, and my father, Robert, would be very proud of us. Well, I think we sort of uh, were just part of that same genetic line. (laughs) It seems so, by the way you answered the question. So I want to thank you, Pat, for taking the time today. It was great. Thank you. Well, well, thank you very much. It was enjoyable. And I hope Uh, people take some good ideas away from them. Oh, I think so. I think so. Some great ideas here. Thanks again. Have a good evening. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you for listening today. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review. Follow us on Instagram at LeadingShe and visit our website, LeadingShe.com, where we have many great ideas for women leaders. 